Hi, welcome to another episode of Infinite Leaders Live. I'm Lewis Keynes, and our why is simple, to be better educators and to be better humans. We want to support and encourage infinite learning, regardless of role, rank, or responsibility in all walks of life, and for people to be willing to listen and to learn. As ever, I'm joined by my desert friend, Alan Dunstan. How are we doing, Alan? Yeah, cheers, Lewis. All good, mate. Really good. Back at school this week. It's been amazing, and We'll continue to focus on the things you don't get taught at university or on any courses, real life lessons from real life people with real life experience. And as you know, if you've listened to any of our podcasts before, we record live um, and you get what you're given really and, and, and warts and all, it's raw and, and there will be mistakes as we go along. Um, we, we, love, we love the feedback that we receive. If you've got any feedback at all, whether constructive or positive, please let us know. We do fully believe in what we're doing and we strive to get better. Um, we're very fortunate to have some great guests on, and today is no exception. Please, if you can, share today's episode um, on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll also find it at theinfinitelearners.com. So listen, learn, and share, and let's get cracking. Yeah, get your pens and paper ready, guys. There's going to be some absolute gems of wisdom coming out of the show today. So Joe Hackett is a PE teacher at heart who has worked her way up through a range of independent schools within the Midlands area of the UK. She started her career as an NQT at Kimbleton School and she's moved on to become head of girls sport at the prestigious Uppingham School. From there, she became the director of sport at Northampton High School, where she worked for 10 years. Jo was a founder member of the Sport Matters Committee to review the competitive sport programmes across 25 girls day schools and became a trust consultant teacher for sport and PE. This role led Jo to carve her own direction, which she's continued as director of sport for the Loughborough Schools Foundation. So welcome to the show, Joe. Great to have you on the podcast. And tell us a little bit about your role at the Loughborough Schools Foundation. Hi, both. It's great to meet you. And thank you so much for inviting me on today. Um, so yeah, I started at the Loughborough Foundation last September. So obviously I did just over a term before lockdown and everything else. Um, it's quite an unusual role, actually. So my role at the foundation is um, sort of incorporates four very different schools. So um, I'm director of sport across four schools and I have a head of sport in each of the four schools. Um, the schools are Fairfield Prep School, which is um, yeah, a quite, quite a big uh, prep school for a kindergarten through to a year six. Then I've got Loughborough High School, which is an academically selective girls secondary school. Uh, Loughborough Grammar School, an academically selective boys grammar school. And then Amherst School, which is non-academically selective. It used to be a girls' school, but is now co-educational, and it's for students three through to 18. Um, we're all on one site, and we all share facilities, so completely centrally located in Loughborough, around a shared set of facilities. So I get my steps in every day. I walk around all four schools and uh, visit all my departments and things like that. Um, but yeah, so. When the role came up, it's a really, for me, it was just really quite exciting, quite an unusual role. It's the first time it's been, I've done a non-teaching position as well. So, um, which is really very different. So I think, I mean, when I started last September, I'll be honest, the first month, I, I didn't really, I wasn't used to planning my day. I've always planned my day around my timetable and around my lessons and worked in pockets of time. And all of a sudden I needed to kind of get used to that, but in a, very different way if that makes sense yeah totally tell us some about some of the challenges that that you faced then all on one site four different schools loads of different staff what are you coming up against yeah it's really really different so um the schools are completely different i would say um until recently that the facility sharing probably hasn't been fantastic and it's something we're definitely working on but the schools have run completely independently they've run separately they've each department's done their own thing. They've all got a head of sport. They've all done what they want to do. But obviously, parents often have students who are in more than one of the schools. So there is a competition between the schools. And, um, and, and actually, you know, the schools are quite traditional. They're quite traditional in their sporting offer. Um, and, you know, and, and as in, in a lot of independent schools, I think the demographic for sport is, and, and the demographic of pupils that are within schools is probably changing a little. And I think independent school sport possibly needs to start to think about that a little bit and think about matching the sporting offer to the students that are in front of them. Um, and this is something that I, you know I'm working on with my heads of sport and I strongly believe in. 
um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously I, I'm, I didn't plan to start my career working in independent schools. I kind of fell into that. I applied for jobs at state schools and independent schools. And invariably, I think because the notice period's longer in an independent school, my first interview was at an independent school and, and that was the job that I got. And my sporting background fitted actually, because my main sports were you know, hockey, netball and tennis. So I fitted perfectly with a traditional independent school model of sport 20 years ago. Um, and, and I have to say, I absolutely loved the extra time that I had with the students and working on developing their, their abilities and, and where they were going in sport. Um, but I think then from obviously my first job at Kimbolton and then I moved on to Uppingham, which where I picked up a lot of boarding uh, opportunity. You know, I did a lot of work in a boarding house as well as within the students. And, and it was, again, a different role. And, and there's such a pressure in interventions to um to be successful and for your teams to win and that is the main focus i've found in my in my time working in these schools and i certainly i i fed into that certainly but at least the first 10 years of my career i would say um so yeah so that it, it's um and i think you know actually this year is probably been quite enlightening because i think there are no fixtures and I think it is making people like me and hopefully like lots and lots of other heads of sport sit back and think, well, hang on, what, what are we doing this for? Who are the fixtures for? Who is the competition for? What are we getting out of this? And it's made people step back and go, hang on, let, let's actually reevaluate. And, and that's certainly what I'm doing and I'm working with my team to do at the moment. So obviously that wasn't quite the, the question I don't think you asked me. You asked me something about the issues in my school, but I've kind of gone off on a bit of a tangent. No, but it, but, it, does, um, it, does, it does give us a really nice insight. Um, you know, I think, I think it's worth exploring what an, internet, what, an, what an independent school looks like in the UK in terms of sport. And, and, and you've given us a really quick overview there in terms of sport is seen as a, a, a very competitive element of school life where winning is really important. Um, there's now been this period to pause and, and reflect on, on, on why that's the case. C can you put your finger on a reason or two as to why there is that tradition in independent schools and why winning and why that profile is so important? Um, do you know, well, I um, obviously I think for me, when I worked at Uppingham and I, obviously I started there as head of girls sport and my, a big part of my job on a Saturday was to put out 25 plus teams so whether that was netball teams whether that was uh, hockey teams you know we wanted as many students as possible playing in those team sports and and it was like you know at, at year nine at under 14 we wanted that we wanted teams a to d we wanted to tell our parents that every child played team sports and i still believe that every child should have the opportunity to play team sports i think what they learn from team sports is phenomenal the skills that come around them is so, so important. But um, I actually think there is a big distinction. And, I, and for those people who haven't worked in an independent school, big independent schools like boarding schools, you know, any in the country, they tend to have a PE programme and a games programme. And sport tends to be in their games programme. Um, until relatively recently, most independent schools, in the big independent schools, boarding schools, for example, would do sport Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday afternoon and all the teachers would do it, every kid would do it. We, the schools would cram all their kids onto their facilities for three afternoons a week, and then all their facilities would sit there for the rest of the week not being used. And if I'm brutally honest, I don't know the reason why that happened like that, but I think it happened like that because it always had done. <laughs> and independent schools are like this, and we don't change things very easily. So. Change doesn't just happen. Change has, there has to be a, a quite a big reason or a person or a, something that promotes this. And it always fascinated me that, you know, I sat there and I looked and I've got three AstroTurfs at Uppingham that weren't used for, for four afternoons a week. And yet I put the whole school on them for four hours on the other four, three days. And I just used to think I wouldn't need three AstroTurfs if, if they weren't, if the timetable was, was adjusted. And I think independently, I know for a fact that Uppingham changed their games programme now and, and I've, I've done an awful lot of things moving forward. But so for me, when I left um, Uppingham and I, I'd kind of, you know, I absolutely loved it. I loved my time with the kids. I loved my Saturday afternoons. 
you know, and I, and I, I mean, obviously I went into sport because I'm competitive. I came from a sports family. I was very lucky. I always knew I wanted to work in sport. Um, my, my family all played. My, my sister was a professional tennis player. So I'd seen the elite sport as well as the sort of more community-based sport. I'd kind of been in there myself and, and had the rough end a little bit, you know, like I, I was an all right tennis player, but I wasn't as good as my sister, but people presumed I would be because we were from the same family, got the same surname, both from Lincolnshire and obviously not many elite sports people came out of Lincolnshire at any point. So, um, yeah, so it, it was just a, a different time, I think. And so I went into this and just thought, well, you know, I wanted the students that I was teaching to be able to experience sport like I had. So sorry, Lewis has got a question. I think <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's great. I don't. I don't want to interrupt you. Um, I, I think my my question would would be around what what's the role of a school in developing? And you touched upon it there, elite sport and and, and high sporting performance um, versus maybe one of the others you mentioned there was was that sort of community feel. Where's the line for a school? What responsibilities do they have to, to engage children and give them opportunities through multiple teams versus being really good in terms of performance in elite sport versus uh, community feel? So I would say, you know, certainly from my background, you know, moving on and, and moving to Northampton, I, I had worked in schools where it was all about teams. It was all about team performance. It was about as many students as possible participating in teams even if they didn't really want to, if I'm really honest. And, and quite often the, the background to this was the school needed to show that they were fielding 30 teams on a Saturday rather than the fact that it was the right thing for the students. And did the students really want to play? And, and those were the days in, in, you know, in that, that era was, um, it was all about field, how many teams could your school field? How many fixtures did you have on a Saturday afternoon? And, and that was sort of the marketing offer of the school. And, and that was the key focus for all, I think, independent schools. But I'm pleased to say, I mean, I, I moved on. Obviously, I worked at a day school. I've been head of sport at a day school for the last 10 years. And, and the work I've done with the trust. And, and now the work I'm doing at Loughborough. And I think it's society's changed. Students have changed. Students vote with their feet now. Students won't turn up and play on us as if they don't want to. The compulsory nature of saying that all students have to play in a team sport, even if they don't want to, has gone. And, and students need choice now. And, it, and I think so, so important is offering that, that variety and offering the, the change of the chance for, for students to do an individual sport, to, do, to train in a gym and learn how to use fitness facilities correctly, to develop the skills around sport. I, mean, I, I don't agree with early specialization. I do not agree with half, you know, people being zoned into a sport really, really early. I think the range and the opportunity to take part in so many different things is so, so important. Um, and, you know, obviously one of the things, I, I mean, one of the big things we're working on at Loughborough at the moment is we're revamping our PE curriculum. So we are very much looking at, um, a much more pupil-centered approach to PE um, and looking at the skills around sport and, and the reasons why they should be doing sport rather than focusing directly on learning a sport for the fact that you've got a match on Saturday afternoon. So let me just interject for a second there. Uh, you, you know, you've said yourself that you, you weren't necessarily um, all for working in an independent school. That was something that sort of happened organically. Now you're in there and you, and you spot these things and, and you're talking really passionately and enthusiastically about all these different opportunities that children could have. How do you as a, a director of sport across four schools in the Loughborough Schools Foundation start to make those changes? How do you change that culture of independent schools putting out teams for the sake of putting out teams, dare I say, um, because it looks good and it helps their profile? Yeah, it, it's not easy and it's not going to be easy. And we're, we're at a, a sort of a, a changing pivotal point. And for so many students, I, I don't want it to sound like I don't agree with team sports because for so many students playing on in a team is absolutely amazing. And it's the thing that they thrive for. The, the big driver for me, and, and this has been the case, certainly since I took on my role at um, Northampton and working in the Trust and, and now at Loughborough, 
the thing that drives me in, in the role that I'm doing and, and the main value that the thing that everything comes back to with me is I want kids to do sport when they leave school. Now, I don't actually care what that sport is, but I want them to learn and develop a healthy, active lifestyle. I want them to carry on. So I need to make sure that my, me and my team of staff have given them the keys and the toolkit that they need to be able to do that. And we all know that the percentage of kids that leave school now and will go and play rugby or hockey or netball or, or you know, whatever it might be, is it, relatively low. But at the same time, they probably, if they don't get the opportunity to try those things in school, when will they try them? And when will they know whether they like it or don't like it? So for me, school is so much about opportunities and about giving different opportunities. Um, and sport is about well-being. And actually, we, we've just sort of like rebranded our PE or in the process of rebranding our PE curriculum. And this idea of um, uh, we're going under this sort of acronym of WELL. And we're, we're looking at sort of well-being and exercise for learning life skills. And, and that's kind of that sort of ideal is underpinning our PE programme now um, to try and, and try and give the students the chance now. I, I am a team sport player at heart. I'm a competitive person. I love sport. I love competing when I, you know, when in my younger years and um, actually find it quite difficult that I don't compete now. And, and now I'm a parent. Actually, I look at things a little bit differently as well. I think my, my focus has shifted. I'll be honest, in those first few years, I remember saying to kids, crikey, on a Saturday afternoon, oh my God, you've ruined my weekend because we haven't won. I mean, that is, I look back now and think, gosh, that was the horrendous thing to say. And then I think about it now and I think, actually, there's loads of teachers that still say that now. At least I, I realised and I've looked at it and thought, hang on a minute. Actually, you know, I, I look at my last school and, I, and staff would come back from tournaments and they'd given their whole day to it. Do you know what? The kids had had a fantastic day out. They actually weren't that bothered about the result at the end of it. But my staff were devastated. They're moaning about umpiring decisions and all the things that you stand there in the office going, oh, God, please tell me you haven't said that in front of those students. That isn't what they need to hear. They, you know, it, and the kids have just had a great day out, to be honest. It, it, sounds, like, it sounds like there was a reflection um, there. You know, there, there was a conscious decision from you at some stage to to really think about what you used to do, you, which you've alluded to there. You know, you, you've said some things to children in the past that, you know, probably weren't the right thing to say and that you regret, haven't we all? Um, but where, where did those moments start to come? Can you remember any of those moments where you started to think, hang on a minute, this, this, this doesn't feel right or, or this, this could be done differently? Yeah, do you know, it's really interesting. When I took my role at Northampton, um, on my actual interview for the high school, the, the head who, I, who interviewed me, I, I learned such a lot from her, I thought she was absolutely amazing. And, um, and on my interview, she actually said to me, I, I'm looking for somebody to run this department differently. I'm looking for somebody to come in here and, and change everything and, and sort of really grow our programme. And I all of a sudden, because I've sort of gone to the interview and I hadn't really heard of the school and I wasn't really that bothered. And then all of a sudden my ears pricked up at, at that point. And I remember it really clearly. And I remember thinking, oh, well, this is the sort of thing that could really interest me. And then once I started there and I, I spent quite a bit of time in my first term um, reviewing the curriculum and working with her, to be fair, about changes that we wanted for the programme. And it was a school where, if I'm honest, if the kids were sporty, they were encouraged to go to clubs. They were encouraged not to do the sport in school. And that was completely alien to me. I, I'd come from, you know, I'm fielding for 25 kids on a Saturday afternoon. So all of a sudden, you know, I needed, sorry, 25 teams on a Saturday afternoon. All of a sudden I needed to grow this programme. And she actually asked me um, in my, not, not a couple of years in, well, in my first term there, she asked me to go on the committee for the Girls' Day School Trust. And sitting there and discussing things like the number of days students were having out of school to take part in competition, and it was probably the first time that, you know, the Girls' Day School Trust are all academically selective girls' schools, pretty much. And it was the first time I'd sat there and thought, hang on, they're having nearly 30 days out of school a year just to take part in sports competitions. That's two staff every day. What, what are we doing? What, what are the kids who were left in school doing? And it, and it was those moments where I thought, well, hang on, we're, we're offering support here for a few, not for everybody. And... And that's not what it's all about. 
for me, the, the C team playing on a Saturday is actually the best bit about the Saturday now. The A team, they, they, will, they will get better. They will, they will do well. They'll carry on with their sport. But, but those in that C team, the fact that they're coming out and they, they want to get better and, and they're developing the skills that come with sport in an environment that they feel comfortable with. So, so any particular moment, I have to say, I think for me, it was working with that head. And, and she actually then put me forward and I spoke at a conference for the, uh, a, a, and it was all the heads and all the directors of sport. And it was a, a conference for the GDST. And I, I actually stood there and said, look, when, when I started at Northampton, it was about kids going elsewhere if they wanted to do sport. And, and that's for me is criminal. That's the worst thing that can happen. And, and I'll be honest, the conference took a, a few turns. I mean, I, the, the, I think the big takeaway from the conference is that people were talking about that they should put hair dryers in girls' changing rooms and things like that, which I'll be honest, was not something that was sort of where I thought it was going. But anyway, um, and, but it was just really interesting that I think for me, that was probably one of the big sort of shifts and one of the times where I thought, no, actually, you know, this is about, you know, how, how can I put a sporting offer together that engages all the students and offers yeah. something for all of them, basically. And, and I remember going back and sitting there at school and saying, hey, and standing up in assembly in front of the whole school and basically saying, every single student in this room, I want to be going to a sports club. I want every single student to be engaging with our extracurricular programme. So if there's not something on there you want to come to, you need to tell us and we'll put it on. So, yeah. and that's basically exactly what we did. And it, it wasn't easy, you know, you, you guys work in schools. Um, probably the hardest thing about um, my journey, I guess, is sometimes is bringing the staff with me. Nice. And, um, and I think staff, you know, convincing the staff that, when you, you know, I've worked with some amazing teachers, but often, you know, they're quite set in their ways and, and they might not want to, to put the extra time in or, or see the benefit or see the reason for doing it and, and let's be honest sometimes I've, I've asked people to do things that perhaps weren't the right thing and, and I'll hold my hands up and they are oh, hang on you know we got there in the end but yeah it's it's just trying different things to come up with ways to engage those students yeah the I think we're getting into a little bit of leadership now Joe aren't we and how are you bringing staff along to to so get in line with your views or not so in line in, in some cases just yeah. talk us through what your core values are, please. Oh, so for me, my core values, um, I think I mentioned this already, but I think for me, it's got to be about um, doing everything I, I do, everything I, can, I want to strive to achieve is to, for students to be practical and to engage with sport afterwards. So for me, any core values has been like to engage and, and it's it's sort of, about the um, about forming relationships and sport for me is completely about sport forming relationships. So relationships comes right up there. So I think leadership and sport just just a hand in hand with that. So I guess for me it's about sort of like hard work, empathy, that they you know and and on and teamwork I guess. Yeah, I and mean, just to just to paraphrase there, there's some key really powerful words there: relationships leadership hard work empathy if you were to look on any top styles of leadership those words would be in there how, how do you then lead this team that you've got you've got four schools one site how many staff have you got joe loads <laughs> i don't know off the top of my head to be honest <laughs> yeah, you, loads how do you get them buying into one vision and to really work together and have a culture that you want to create. That's got to be tough. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard actually. And and I think for me starting that, and, and I'm, I'm only 12, you know, just over 12 months in, and let's be honest, I haven't been at school for quite a large period of it, and quite a lot of my staff have been furloughed for quite a large period of it. So um, it's, it is hard. And um, I think not only have I got to sort of buy in my, my team, but also I've got to buy in the, the people above me. So, so, you know, I'm line managed by one of the heads and above me are, are, is an executive committee that, that so any big decisions, anything we want to change obviously goes through the committee. So, um, which, which is for me at the moment is the four heads and, and our COO. So it, it, is, um, it is hard. I like to think I'm quite personable and I like to think I, you know, and I, I work 
work well with people. And for me, as I sort of alluded to there, that the main focus probably this year has been about developing the relationships of the people that I work with and working out what sort of makes them tick and where their strengths are, because it's all about trying to play to the strengths of the team. I mean, and, and obviously at the moment, that's something I'm trying to look at and how I can we can better play to the strengths of the team and ways that, you know, perhaps we could adapt the structure. And in fact, this year, we, we've already started to share quite a lot of, so move staff between the schools a little bit to work to their strengths. So, um, and, and hopefully this is something that we'll, we'll do more of, um, which I think is great for our students. Um, you know, they get to see people, you know, obviously I need to know, you know, we're looking at developing pathways and, and, and movement systems. Um, one of the big things that, uh, which probably last year, the, the big thing that changed for us last year was actually really not what you would necessarily think was a big thing for us, but we actually rebranded our sports kit, which sounds like a simple thing, but obviously when you've got four schools together and you want to put all four schools into the same kit, and the decision has been made they want to go into a branded sports kit, actually like rather challenging. Um, and I, we, we, all the heads of sport sort of worked with, with me with this and the executive agreed to, to make some changes. But the, the really interesting thing for me is I, I got sort of 50 kids in a room, 50 senior, senior school students and put that uh, we sort of so, uh, got this down to three, three kit suppliers and, and put them in front of the students and said, okay, Look at, the, look at the stuff, we showed them the things, we talked about the, the, the brands and so on. And all 50 students chose the same kit, which <laughs> I was, I couldn't, I couldn't foresee for a million years. And they all chose it because it's made of recycled water bottles. Oh, wow. And, yeah. and they wanted a sustainable sports kit. Well, for me, it was like a dream because all of a sudden, I've got the best marketing message in the world. I've got the first sustainable tracksuit. I mean, it's amazing. But, um, but it just fascinated me that that was so important to them. Now, I can almost guarantee that if I'd done that, I, in fact, I did. I did a rebrand at the high school when I started there. It wasn't even on the, on the a mention. It wasn't even on the page. And, and this is one thing that I thought, hang on, this shows where students' opinions and where their mindset and where what they want from their school and their future is changing massively and it's just an example of how obviously uh, we've got to then we've then got to work with that for that to happen um, how, how important is that joe get, getting children on board and, and listening to their opinion I, I think it's really important because ultimately we're putting a program in place for them um and i think the, the only thing i would say with with you know, I think student voice is fantastic. I do think don't perhaps always put too much value on the student voice because sometimes they haven't tried everything. So until they've actually tried something, how do they know if they like it or don't like it? Um, and the one thing I would say, from certainly from my experiences, students are very much just like, just like we are, just like I am. They're relationship driven as well. And they will go to a subject or an activity because they have formed a relationship with that teacher or that coach. And sometimes, um, you know, positively or negatively. So um, it's really important that we're focusing on the activity sometimes when we're looking at, at student voice and student activities, rather than sometimes that going with the teacher or the, the person that they like. Had to not get put name the staff who were doing the activities on when they, when they got their options choices. And I often threw, real curveballs with which staff were doing which activities so that once they'd gone to it they were like oh I wasn't expecting that um, and the other thing is I, I did a mixture I actually like you say I made them all do some activities that did take them out of their comfort zone because that, that is what sport's about it is about learning to take risks and you might not necessarily have that opportunity in a maths lesson or an English lesson but we can naturally manufacture this to happen in a games yeah. lesson or a PE lesson or whatever um, which I think is so, so important. It's interesting, um, yeah. this year we've, you know, obviously you said about working with my team and, and moving my team forward. So one of the things we've done this year is we've, we've actually invested in a programme. So um, we've invested in a programme called Functional Movement Systems. Um, and I, I have to say, I mean, I've only done this now for nearly a term, but um, it's really, really interesting. So, so we've screened all of our students in the foundation. Um, 
and then we're sort of looking at how their movement functionality will, can help them with their well-being and so on and so they all get a report and they sort of get their own movement flows and their, their activities and it, the idea for me is that that looking after your own movement capacity and your own your own well-being becomes as important as brushing your teeth so if you um so maybe five minutes a day you spend working on these sort of corrective movement exercises uh, that, that are specific to you now you both work in schools you know that i mean i've emailed these out they've been emailed out to all of our students some of them are like all over it. Some of them are like, oh, this is brilliant. I want to do these exercises. Some of them haven't even opened the email. So now I've yeah. got to work with my teams in all four schools to, to get them to sort of engage fully with the program, even if maybe some of them aren't fully invested in it, to engage with the program, to then share my enthusiasm for the program with the students themselves and, and sort of try and, and, and get the students to then be looking at, at these, these movement flows and these exercises. And, and I hope that over the course of the next two or three years, this becomes a cultural shift in our schools. And this is something that, you know, in, in their form time, they perhaps work on their breathing flows or their shoulder mobility, or they're doing as a movement break in a lesson. And it's a, a real cultural ideal within, within our four schools. But that really wasn't what you asked me. But anyway, that, that, <laughs> that was, uh, that's, there you go. that's one of the things that we're sort of, it's, it's one of the things that's given me over the last few weeks. Yeah, it, it's it's funny, George. We had we had Peter come and present to both myself and Lewis recently about functional movement systems. Oh, did you? Yeah, and it, it is a very interesting topic. And we in our schools, we're doing a lot of work with with physical literacy and fundamental movement skills. And it could be argued that you can't even go near them until your actual body is right, because if you're trying to catch, throw and catch, you can't do that if your shoulders are out of line and your hips aren't quite right in the right place. So it could be that that's the first step before we even try the next step. Is it, it is a very interesting concept, John. I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. What's the experiences with student feedback? Yeah, uh, do you know what? I, I um, obviously, Peter started by presenting to me and then I, we, we engaged with all my heads of sport and all of us, without doubt, were like, this programme is, is perfect. And exactly what you said, I was looking at changing our P this year and and I'm really looking at how um I'll come back to your question in one second really looking at how you, I think PE lessons have kind of gone down the route of um and they have done ever since I've started teaching I'm guilty of putting out a PE program like this you do half a term of badminton then you do half a term of basketball then you do half a term of gymnastics then if you're lucky you've got a pool you might do half a term of swimming but but how how does they how do they throw, flow into each other well they don't what, what underpins all of them well well nothing really and what skills are we making sure the students have got? Well, again, we, we aren't. So I sort of started this time last year and said, right, where do I want my year sixes to be? Where do I want my year tens to be? Where do I want my year twelves to be? And so on. And then this is when I thought, well, hang on, are they physically in the right position to do any of this? So that's what made me think, hang on, let's let's take a step back. So exactly like you, I thought, right, let's put together a functional programme. Let's get them all doing squats. Let's get them all doing lunges. Let's look at the, you know, the strength and the speed and, and put a program together like this. And, and I was all, and then I was, and then I thought, well, are they ready for that? And also how interesting is that for someone? So I thought, okay. And I also thought how ready are my staff to deliver this? So yeah. I went down and, and obviously then it coincided with meeting with Peter. And in fact, actually our, and somebody put us in contact. And, and I think, you know, Peter at FMS is absolutely brilliant um, and his experiences are fantastic and the way he explained the program to me about you know how it can help students to sleep better and walk better and you know we're in a global pandemic and, and obviously one of the first things we teach them is to breathe through their nose which has a viral filter well obviously that suddenly made so much sense to me so um, yeah so the program exactly as you say I just thought crikey this makes this is perfect this is exactly what our students need um how's it gone down now the screening has gone down obviously we've had to adapt because in the past FMS would come in and do all the screening for you but they can't because of COVID so we've sort of trained up all my PE teachers and my sports assistants to do the screening and so I think some of the screening may not be as perhaps as accurate as if they'd come in but it, it really doesn't matter. They get screened, they get a score between zero and three. 
So if you get it wrong, it's not disastrous. Um, we're just in the process of working through the first set of correctives with them. Um, and like I say, some students are really, really feeding into this. Some are looking at it, they're engaged with it, they are checking out their movement flows. The videos are fantastic, they can do them at home. Um, like some just, are just. Joe, is, yeah. is that the same group of kids that are always engaged, or is it the kids? that need to be engaged. And that's always the case in PE at the moment. Yeah, actually, I would say this is probably hitting the kids who maybe we don't normally hit as well, because okay, it's yeah. something that, I, I think it's quite interesting that we're encouraging them to do these exercises themselves. And I think that's helping. The, the, the kids who perhaps don't want to be on full show and want everybody watching them doing everything, is really important. And, and I think that's who we're really, really directing this at at the moment. Um, the, I think for us, some of the screening has been challenging, particularly for the really little ones. And I was yeah. a little bit nervous that some parents might go a little bit too far with it, but that seems to have been okay at the moment as well. Um, yeah. I, I'm so excited to revisit this in sort of six months and in 12 months as we rescreen the students and see actually what impact it has made. And so it's really hard because we actually only sent out all the screening data just before half term. So we, we basically spent the first half term screening and we're just picking up gaps at the moment. But it's so exciting to see what happens towards the end of this term and the start of next term and, and if they carry on with it over Christmas. Um, and as we grow and we rescreen particular aspects, um, I think, you know, and I'll be really, and obviously at that point, I will have a straight off idea of how many of which set of students it is hitting more than others. Because for me at the moment, it's just data, it's a lot of data for sort of 2,000 students, if you like, or near enough 2,000 yeah, students. So, yeah. But, yeah, no, it's, it, sounds, it sounds an exciting project. How do you do that? Is that, so that focused in curriculum or is that an extracurricular thing or is it linked together? How, how do you because, actually go about that? Yeah, because we've decided to do this for all of our students from, um, we've actually screened reception through to year 12. We didn't do year wow. 13 because we felt they've got enough to be dealing with. Um, like I say, that the pre-prep screening reception year one, year two doesn't really work. But the exciting thing, we're now looking at a, a different programme with FMS4, particularly for those students. So this is where I feel like we're in a great position um, and, and sort of like quite groundbreaking for them, actually. Um, for um, the, what we do at the moment, we've, we've done it all through the PE programme. Um, obviously for us, um, year, we only have PE in our senior schools up to year nine. So year 10 upwards have a games afternoon. So theirs has got to be done through the games afternoon for 10, 11 and 12. And that, that has been a little bit harder, particularly, um, particularly for the older boys, I think, who, you know, their lessons are on a you know, on a rugby pitch, for example, and sometimes not actually taken by a PE teacher. So, so getting them to engage with it is probably the hardest bit we're, we're coming up against at the moment. Um, but the, the PE staff are really, really on board with the system. And I'm just really excited to see where it goes and to see how, you know, in a two or three years time, the students that progress from my prep school into my senior schools, what, what is their movement capacity? What, what are, you know, are we in a much better position and, and do they have a greater understanding of things, you know, things, you know, their movement capacity. It is really interesting that actually the younger they are, obviously they score better because they haven't, uh, haven't, you know, done any difficult problems yet. But um, it'll be really interesting to see how that drops off and how we can help it to pick up again. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. It, it's interesting, Joe, because I, I, I've been spoke to the FMS guys and I've, been, I've got twins that are 11 years old and my little boy at three years old, we spotted he had a, a really awkward gait. Um, and his sister was moving freely and uh, he, he, went to, he went to a specialist and he was diagnosed with something called leg cow's perf disease, where the top of the femur um, doesn't fit into the socket properly. Um, and, and, and the bad news at that point, which was, was pretty heartbreaking, was that he couldn't, he wasn't allowed to run, walk, jump for three years. So it, until the blood flow comes back to the top of the femur. 
Now, those three years between three and six are probably the most important three years of your life for, for fundamental movement skills. And at 11 now, he still doesn't move with, with, with flexibility at the hip. His core's not strong. And yet his sister's an unbelievable athlete and they've been brought up exactly the same. And, and that underlines to me that importance of at three to six and at young age, getting older kids. And you can see that progression, Joe. How, how do you feel about specialist lessons at that age and what benefits they actually bring? You know, it's, it's really interesting what you've just said because um, I was talking to a parent. Um, he's a teacher in the, in the foundation. One of them, his, his son had been and he had a hip problem and actually uh, well, a really bad infection. In fact, they thought he was going to as a baby. And he has identified in that particular side of his body and in that leg. And he was saying to me, oh, this is now all of a sudden we, we thought it all rectified itself. And, and this parent had said to me, you know, we were wondering if it is linked to that. We presume it probably is. And obviously the little boy has no idea. But for, for me, this is amazing because I'm now looking at it going, well, we can do something about this. This, this child's in year four. By, by these corrective exercises, we can help him so that once he gets up to senior school, he, he can walk. You know, it's irrelevant how this affects his sporting progression, but he'll be able to walk better. He'll be able to sit more comfortably. Once they get, you know, the older students, actually, if they learn, if they develop their hip mobility in their face, they can probably sit more comfortably in an exam room for three hours without actually having to shuffle about quite so much. So, so it's, it's more than, you know, going on. I mean, I hope that in time this progresses into a, a full athletic development programme and our top end athletes who are scoring perhaps really well on this really move on. At the moment, this programme for me is about the, the students who... I don't know, you do a long jump and they barely reach the long jump pit. You know, that it, it's about those ones. That it's about increasing the distance that they can jump and, and, and making their day-to-day -day life more comfortable and being able to move more freely. Um, how I feel about specialising, I still struggle with the concept of specialising, but I believe that this programme isn't necessarily about specialising. It's about their movement functionality. And so that can be adapted into any sporting context and any lesson that we may want to deliver so for me yeah. it's about bringing this into part maybe with a warm-up maybe in the activity depending on the lesson content but the program is the sports program is about that variety for them especially at that age my children are, are, are um five and eight so um you know and I, i've got a, a child who's pretty much obsessed with a ball and spends all day, every day, throwing or kicking or hitting or anything. And, um, you know, and I, I look at it and think, well, I, I can't wait to be able to sort of screen him myself. I mean, they're, they're not actually out of schools, but to, to look at how, how they progress and how it, it sort of affects them a little bit as well. Um, so it, it's, but I, I look at it as a parent and I think back to my parents and, you know, obviously, you know, we, we some of you know there's four of us and we played to quite a high level but interestingly I mean I said my sister was a professional tennis player my dad didn't encourage her to pick up a tennis until she was 11 and it was because she wanted to play so um I I strongly believe that variety and a range of opportunity is the best thing for, for children and if they if they have a passion and almost I think actually to become the best they have to become a little bit obsessive so if they have that obsessive nature towards that, that sport or towards that activity, they'll get there, whether they've started it at five or 11 or 12, irrespective, to be honest. I mean, I, I was lucky in my last school, I mentored um, Ellie Robinson. And I don't know if you, um, sure you've heard of Ellie. Ellie obviously won the, the uh, Paralympic gold medal when she was 15 and she came back into school from this. And it was amazing to have her in school with us and being at the top of her field and the top of her game and with everything that she's gone through. I mean, obviously you mentioned Perthes, obviously I, I, she, she had, had Perthes and couldn't swim herself for two years. So it was um, what, one of, the, one of those um, amazing opportunities and something I never thought in my career I would have the chance to do. So um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it's, if children have that drive and that enthusiasm and that support network, they will go on to succeed. 
but as a teacher, my job is to give them the building blocks and the foundations in a variety of opportunities to have that chance to move on and, and have that chance to try something and find the thing that they want to carry on with and the thing they want to yeah. succeed. Yeah, finding your passion that's come through all our, our podcast really is. We, we're going we're gonna to wind it down now, Joe. We've got some quick fire questions just to answer towards the end. What, what are yep. your three non-negotiables as a leader? Um, I think for me, it's uh, I, I, dedication. I, I think, you know, I work really, really hard and, and I, I'm very lucky to have teams of people that, that do exactly the same. Um, honesty um, is a definite uh, non-negotiable for me. I'll get things right. I'll get things wrong. And I'll, I'll always hold my hands up to that. And, um, you know, and I think you learn by your mistakes as much as you learn by the things that you do well and you do right. Um, and um, teamwork uh, and coming together as a team. I think that'll be my three. Yeah, belt it. Well, I've, I've got one for you, Joe. Obviously, you know, working in Loughborough, uh, Loughborough, not the biggest city, but synonymous for a very successful sporting university and a really strong program across so many sports, you know, not, not just in the UK, but, but wider than that. Um, what, what legacy do you hope that you'll leave yourself as director of sport at the Loughborough Schools Foundation? Oh, that is a hard one. Um, legacy. Um, uh, do you know, I, I think I thought about this, actually, because I've listened to some of your podcasts and I thought about legacy when I was driving home the other day. And I, I think... Um, in my younger self, I'd have talked about, you know, having elite somebody that I'd coached that had performed to a high level and all this sort of thing. But, but now, in all honesty, the legacy for me moving on, and I think now I'm, I'm in sort of, I've moved on from a few jobs and, and I thought to start with, it was about building a program and leaving a program that was really, really good. And I think I've accepted that actually, when you move on, the program changes because the person who's leading it will, will adapt that program to, to their strengths or weaknesses or whatever. So I, I think my opinion on legacy has changed massively. So my view on legacy now is uh, there are 2000 students within my, my foundation and I want all of those students to carry on and do something as they grow, go into later life. So my legacy now is about passing on my enthusiasm and my love for, for sport and exercise and for general well-being and for those children to grow into adults and to have their own children and pass on things like the importance of functional movement and pass on things like the importance of looking after yourself and taking time out for yourself um, so for me the legacy now is about those students having a, an active healthy lifestyle and and maintaining the skills that we've worked hard to teach them through their through their sort of childhood and adolescence. Yeah, so, so so using your fundamental movement skills alongside that real aspect of not specialising and, and giving the children choice across multi sports to allow them to continue into adulthood and and, and enjoy sport. Yeah, hundred percent. Cool. Yeah. All right, last one, Joe. We love this one. We haven't asked it for on the new series yet. What um what three leaders in history would you love to go out for a meal? Uh, okay, so um, these sort of, oh, I hate these sort of questions. I never really think quick on my feet, but um, <laughs> I for me obviously I'm a I'm a sporty female, and I would love to sit here and list to you three really sporty females that have done great leadership roles, and I'm struggling a little bit. So I think I will have to go with um. I think leaders in history, I would go with Nelson Mandela. I've been lucky to lead two sports tours to South Africa. And I have a, a black, uh, my brother, my brother-in-law is, is South African and um, who grew up in South Africa during apartheid. And, and there's a sportsman himself and very keen on rugby. Obviously lives over here now. So I actually um, am very interested in sort of the impact of sport and apartheid and, and how that all linked together. So, so that would be one of mine. Um, I think another one for me, I'm from uh, my family would, uh, we're quite a keen rugby family. So um, I would actually love to have a conversation and have dinner with Clive Woodford because I think he's worked in three completely different fields and done leadership aspects 
I'm really interested in his teamship rules and how he, he enforces his teamship and how he gets students and, and his teams to all feed into this and to go from that. And bizarrely, we actually had Lawrence Delalio visited school yesterday and we walked oh. around and he was talking to some, <laughs> well, he was talking to some of my students and, and we'd been talking to them about writing a code of conduct. So we just said, happened to say to him, oh, we you know, how, what's your take on this? And without realising it, he was sort of talking about some of the sort of teamship things that I've heard sort of Clive Woodward talk about on podcasts or whatever in the past, uh, you know, about time, timekeeping and uniform and dress code and that sort of thing. So um, I found that, so I suddenly thought, quite this would be really, at the time I thought, oh, that was really interesting. Now you hit me with it. That's, so that's, that's one of the reasons I choose him. Um, and for me, the third one is, and probably a new one, I think I'd probably go with Kamala Harris. The, the uh, newly elected vice president. I think you know she's she's doing a job that's perhaps a little bit stepped down. So she's not the, the out and out leader. So she's got to look at how she works on the teamwork and how she works in a supporting role. Um, and, and being a female, I think for me, somebody like that in that role is, is absolutely amazing. So that, I think that would be my three. Yeah, the good, good shouts, Joe. If you get a chance, listen to Jay Comfrey and Damien Hughes' podcast with Clive Woodward on their I've hand. heard it, actually. I've heard it. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I, I love the bit with, with the teamship, and they all then got together and decided that their rule was going to be they're going to be 10 minutes early. I love that. <laughs> if only I could L get that. Lombardi time, I said. I love it. Brilliant. <laughs> but, but thanks, Yeah, Jay. that'd be thanks nice, wouldn't it? On. Thank you so much. Thanks, you know, thanks for inviting me, and I've really enjoyed enjoyed chatting to you both. Likewise, Joe, absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on, um, guys. Search Infinite Leaders Live on YouTube, Instagram, and on podcast platforms. We're on all major podcast platforms now, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, and remember to visit theinfinitelearners.com. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to Joe. Bye. Thanks, Joe. Thank you.